Hello, this is your host, Dr. Casey Bradley, and welcome to Pig Progress's The Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the producers around the world. Welcome back to our quarter three of 2022 highlights with Vincent and Casey. We get to talk about what's been going on in our lives, the world swine industry, and we go off on tangents. So it's a little different than normal. So I hope you enjoy. Well, it has been a long time, Vincent, since we've last spoken. There's a lot that's happened in quarter three of 2022. So how have you been? I've been uh, I've been okay. I'm um, I'm kind of on my way back, so I've been uh, having a very quiet uh, summer. But that was uh, for a personal medical condition, so to say. So um, I'm trying to get uh, to get back on track now. And I've just returned um, from a press conference where we introduced uh, where where Eurotier was introduced, and where we could speak to certain companies, uh, all kinds of innovations that were presented. So that's uh, that's been uh, exciting. Yeah. So, talk to us. What is the the information or feel or Eurotier is a big deal? What's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. It. Um, yeah, in my experience, it was always the moment in the market where the whole world actually came together. I mean, uh, with all respect, World Pork Expo in a name is World Pork Expo, but it's strongly focused on Northern America. Whereas uh, at Eurotier, I find that. That's the place where most of the of, of the big world comes together. Yeah, I think all these shows are, are looking for okay, how how are we going to rebuild the situation after after COVID? So this year idea is not going to be as large as the previous one was. Uh, that was in 2018. I think at the time they had 2,500 um, exhibitors altogether, and I think at the moment they are at 1,700. So that is a little bit smaller than what it was, but they're still counting. Apparently, there's quite a lot of companies thinking, "Okay, yeah, maybe I want to, I want to, I want to wait and see how things develop." And uh, if my connection is is lost, uh, that's because my cat is walking around. So, uh, but I'm trying uh, to do I love my best it. So, <laughs> I, I'm jealous that your cat's paying attention to you this morning. <laughs> I think he's hungry again, but uh, as long as he's not nibbling on the cables. Yeah, I have the feeling that everybody's ready for um, to come back and see each other again. Also in Germany, then they've announced a number of innovations that were awarded, and I think this year they had about uh, one one big innovation was awarded. Actually, that was an, um, a solution that has been in development for a long time. That was the Sound Talks innovation of wearing Ingelheim Animal Health. Perhaps you know it as well. It's like a cough monitor where the yep. It's all about Internet of Things, data management. There is a sensor hanging in the in the pig house. And as soon as some of the pigs are coughing, that's the sound that's being picked up. And well, an algorithm determines whether or not, okay, this could be something that there is a problem. And usually this system is able to detect health problems a lot sooner than any farmer would. And yeah, yeah. they've been developing this for years, but now it's on the market. So that's why it was awarded with the gold medal. Yeah, I've always thought it's a, an incredible product. And uh, Swine Tech's use something similar. Um, they've used sound for piglet crushing. So with their system and developing in Matthew Rhoda's won a lot of awards as well yeah. for that. Speaking of that, that's I've been working a long time on my digital platform. So mm-hmm. that's something that is really, we've put a lot of hours and, and time into here this last quarter of getting it ready for market. So we're working on a digital data app and data visualization. So real-time data. And I think that's the trend where the industry is going. I'm focusing mm-hmm. today more on research and mm-hmm. use cases. And you know, we, without speaking too soon, we hope to de- we're going to be developing a biosecurity tracking component to our apps as well. So I think not only from my perspective, that's what I've been investing my time and money into. Mm-hmm. It's also everybody's kind of going down that path of how can we use data to make better decisions. So I think that's a, a major trend happening. But if you go back to our episode with Dalton from the, not Dalton. Yeah, Dalton, Obermeyer. 
from University of Nebraska, the data that we came out, our Q3 episodes from animal science meetings, you know, he, he still sees the, the biggest hurdle of getting tech into the swine industry is yeah. uh, generational more so. That's like, um, well, the, the pig farmers who have reached a certain age, they're a little bit adverse to too many novelties. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a problem that will solve itself eventually, I would say. Well, I think so. But, you know, with everything as tech, as we get into this and we can take this down a further path that we're going to go down in a bit, but it's also trust, right? Trust in what's my ROI. And, Mm. you know, I've struggled with this of looking at tech for myself, for my customers. We don't know the clear benefits of this technology yet today, right? The cough monitor, obviously, it allows us to detect pigs getting sick faster. Hopefully, we'll intervene, right? But there's still a lot of components from saying your pigs are sick in barn one to getting that medication into the medicator mixed properly, managed properly, and the pigs treat it in a proper manner. And, you know, they're... Tech can only give us so much and, you know, there's still a lot to say that's great, but we need to also parts of that. What I'm trying to work on on my training side of things is not only have tech to tell us what we need to do, but have the training, the materials and the training to make sure we can implement it. Right. And that's the breakdown that um, a lot of these tech companies in my mind have not addressed is that's great. You can tell me I got a problem and create three farrowing, but if I don't have enough labor or I don't have a properly trained mm-hmm. labor force, it's not helping me yet. Right. And that is where I'm working in the field of digital data and I love data, but data can only do so much. And what I haven't seen from the swine industry is robotics to help replace labor. Yeah, I have seen a couple of examples. I know what you what you're talking about. I think there is also a matter of uh, practicality. You're a tier, there, if there's one show where there is a lot of new innovations being presented, it is there. What I often see, what I often see is that sometimes an innovation can be fantastic to be displaying it on a show. So people walking by and you think, okay, the air is clean. There's no pigs around and it really looks nice and shiny. But when you go to the farm and you want to implement it in a barren environment, in a rough environment, I mean, we all know that our pig friends are not the most handy or subtle animals. They can be quite (laughs) rough with them. So in that environment, a a high-tech solution still needs to have an added value. I recall um, one of the things that was always awarded was a bedding robot by um, by a big Dutchman. Um, you just said uh, said about robots. They well, bedding robots are nothing new. I mean, especially in farms where they like to have a layer of uh, straw on the floor. They have just these robots hanging at the rail at the, at the ceiling, for instance, and they just run up and down and just disperse um, straw from time to time. This one can also detect where there is straw needed. They just do a nocturnal round and then they check with the infrared camera where they see there are patches of, hey, there is no straw. And then he understands, okay, during the day, I need to supply more straw. So that was the novelty about it, that it has this infrared camera. But they said also, when they were trying to implement that, they also ran into a lot of different, Practical issues, for instance, that when they wanted to do this at a farm that had mangalitsa pigs, then the infrared camera would recognize a mangalitsa as being straw. So, Hmm. (laughs) because they're a little (laughs) bit rough with their hair. That's so cute. Yes, fantastic. Yeah, eh? but, uh, yeah no, they all had to overcome that. But yeah, they they overcome that. Overcame that obviously, and now the, the innovation has been awarded with a with a silver medal as well. Yeah, I was going to say last week I was just up in Minnesota for Targeting Excellence, it's a scholarship program here in the U.S. for food animal. It's heavily swine, and up there a lot of people who worked in the swine industry attended. We had Christensen Farms, some farm managers there, and I spoke on mentoring and professional development and team building. Right, and we made it interactive. And still, I asked them what's the number one problem today, and they said labor. And 
tech has to start replacing labor, but yet at the same time, we also need to integrate tech into training and helping our staff feel like part of the team, right? And a lot of times I see we implement tech, but there's still that human component that we don't do enough with. Like, how how do we really use this? And I think there's even a lot of times, a lot of not alpha testing or like in real world conditions with real producers on some of this stuff. And I'm finding even with my tech, like it, it's going through Casey's like, ah, this doesn't work. Uh, this doesn't work um, before I trust it. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a great learning lesson. And, you know, I think we're all excited about new innovations and that's what everybody talks about. But I think there's got to be somebody also as we we need new innovation, but we mm-hmm. have to have somebody on the other side or in between saying, how do we implement it? What's the best way to use this? Who's the best person or, you know, customer or, or management system to use tech? And that excites me more for not even just Q4, but I think, you know, the future of the swine industry that's as that evolves and we get more comfortable. I'm really excited to see that. That that's what's driving my passion of the endless opportunities ahead. Um, I'm wondering how is the labor situation in the US at the moment? I mean, I know that there's a shortage of staff pretty much pretty much. In every sector in uh, in the Netherlands, you can't find anybody to work anywhere. So uh, is that pretty similar across the pond? It is very similar. I mean, we've always had the challenge with getting labor. So a lot of producers have gone to like a TN60 type visa, pulling um, people out of Mexico. And what I know even on that, because of our because of COVID backlogs, like when we talk about visas of any type of international employee, it's been a nightmare and and Mm. I am trying to support a lot of my friends and uh, the struggles they have to go to, to stay in the U S to work, to come to the U S to work is the problem, right? The the government, but at the same time, it doesn't matter what industry you talk about. I just talked to my friend up in uh, Wisconsin and her aunt had to shut down a 70, I think 70 years or something like that. This restaurant's been in business because they can't get staff. Mm-hmm. But let's flip it. We've been very optimistic and happy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of layoffs going around. I have another friend in tech mm-hmm. that this ability to work from remote is really backfiring, I think, for the American employees. If we look at more of an office type job, maybe not a farm mm-hmm. job. Because now he was talking about he's have to decide who they're going to fire in the U.S. because they're outsourcing these tech jobs to India or Pakistan mm-hmm. for cheaper. You know, that's an indicator to me that you're going to have higher income people not having jobs. And that when we think about meat consumption, you know, and I've talked to my teachers in the schools, the input costs, the gas for the cars, the food costs our lower income families are really hurting. And if this is a problem, not only for society, but for the pork industry, because now they're not going to be able to afford high quality lean meat. Yeah. I think what you describe here is, is kind of the perfect storm that is kind of hanging over Germany, if I say so, um, well, at the eve of, of, of Europe too, because uh, I've been to a fair, a fair amount of editions, but I don't think it's been a situation like this where multiple crises actually seem, seem to come at, uh, at the same time. Obviously, the war in, uh, in Russia and Ukraine doesn't make the situation easier because I understand that the raw material prices have shot up everywhere. So producers of, of all kinds of um, uh, industries say, uh, if you're making trucks, so if you're making materials for in the big house, everything is more expensive. That has to be paid. So all the prices for swine producers to invest will grow as well. That's the one thing they can't use because, especially in Germany, we've seen that COVID uh, hits pretty much like it did in the United States. That certain slaughterhouses, meat packers had to close their doors because, well, basically whole staff were at home because of COVID. So that created a backlog and producers being not being able to ship out their, their pigs. On top of that, you have African swine fever at the moment. 
which also causes that pork cannot be exported from, from Germany, at least not outside the European Union. So prices for German pork have dropped. And also, if you have African swine fever directly around your uh, your farm, there is also a standstill in that particular area. Well, it's not forever, but it's also for a while. So you've got producers who kind of, yeah, they want to, to sell their pigs to the slaughterhouse, but they have difficulty doing so. So all these things happen at the same time. Uh, yeah. No, it's, oh, it's the it, same, it's it's not, the not same the in the situation. UK. If you listen to, you know, our episodes from Q3 with Mark Jagger, mm-hmm. and then we just had Molly and Suzanne Gibson from the UK. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not in that specialty pork market, mm-hmm. the UK pork producers are suffering as well from cheaper imports, right? Yeah. So, and they're also stuff suffering some issues because of Brexit. So, I mean, it's not just one country. It's not an isolated area. No, no, no. And each country has their own difficulties again. Uh, and uh, But yeah, also, I think in Germany, they're also saying, okay, well, they need additional welfare legislation. I mean, they're going towards having a mandatory situation where sows can uh, have their piglets with them without any crate in a farrowing, farrowing pen. Mm-hmm. So that's um, a mandatory Thing that they well, producers need to comply with sooner or later. All these things they seem to point that oh maybe it's better for um, for big producers to opt for a, a special scheme or something. Or um, as you say, you, you're in a specialty market, but also the demand to that is limited. It's not like the whole world would like to have a specialty big uh, or pork well, product. We're seeing this here. So there's been a crash into the. I've read some articles on alternative milk products and these plant-based meat sources we won't get into the funny story funny story okay so we're all laughing about it in the swine industry or meat industry so the ceo this has happened in arkansas the stadium my husband was there he didn't have to arrest the guy or anything but the ceo of the impossible burger got arrested because he bit the nose of somebody else <laughs> at the football game of the Razorbacks football thing instead of her like why not just punch somebody why bunch? I, I, I have no clue but you know we're using it as the fact it's in our mantra that if you eat this impossible burgers that you're gonna like become a carnivore yeah he's been <laughs> craving for uh, <laughs> been craving for meat altogether yeah yeah but funny side but you know let's Let's talk about welfare as a concern, right? Climate change is a big thing. Carbon neutrality. What you know, what I'm really concerned about from a welfare and balancing that. Mm-hmm. So let's just take, you just told me before we got on the call, everybody in the Netherlands is, it's getting colder, but you're not turning on the thermostat or the heat yet. I try not because, to, no. Because of the cost. Um, yeah. So my concern is, and it's the same in the US, right? Our costs are going up as well for fuel mm. products and stuff. Will we take shortcuts as producers because we can't afford to heat our facilities? And then, you know, what's that going to do to production efficiencies? And what's that going to do for like animal welfare? Um, so at the, at the end of the road, I think uh, animal welfare is also a sign that, well, we have time and energy to focus on those kinds of things rather than food security. I mean, I think you see it everywhere in the world that whenever a country is developing a little bit, their first idea is, okay, we have to make sure that everybody is no longer hungry. And by the time that a country has reached a certain level of of welfare, so together in the whole country, that's when you can start thinking about, okay, maybe we should spend attention on how the animals are living rather than that they are produced. And we're at that turning point here. All of a sudden, we were living in abundance. We had everything. And then we have time and energy to spend on issues like animal welfare. But yeah, if we go back one step, yeah, then probably animal welfare, even if you want it, it may cannot be a a priority. Yeah. I mean, it's all over the news. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Mm -hmm. Bill Gates comes out and says his goals that he had. He goes, We are not on track, which is making sure we end poverty, we end food insecurity, and can't remember the third goal that they quoted, that they had a plan, but in eight years, he goes, we are not on track to meet our goals in eight years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's coming out of the, you know, somebody who is going for equality, right, and food security, 
and helping agriculture develop in um, third world countries and things. And that's kind of scary when food security is the number one thing that starts wars, right? When people are hungry, things start to happen. We see that from crime. <laughs> you know, I could talk about my husband's, but, you know, I think I think you're right. Some of the, the luxuries that we looked at from the swine industry, we have to start being thinking about going into Q4 as pork producers all over the world. How can I manage my risk? I looked at some markets here. So earlier this year, we were running 130s lean hogs, $130 per hundred weight um, lean hogs. That's a, a not a live hog, but lean hog. Looking at lean hog futures today from CME 8567. Now, obviously, this is late September and we're recording this. It's going to be about a week late before everybody it comes live. Corn's about 680. Soybean meal's about 432. But my lean hogs, they're not going up. And we don't see that that trend upwards again until summer, like what we call the barbecue season. Yeah. So with our inputs, right, and corn, you know, is still high, 680 a bushel, where, you know, a year, year and a half, two years ago, we were at $3.50, $4 a bushel. Soybean meal staying relatively constant. But we just look at that. I'm hearing early reports. So we've had harvest here in Texas and Georgia and the South, right? Really bad microtoxin issues. Now, looking at some of the corn standing up in Minnesota still looks really good. But if they get rain before they can harvest, you know, that's so, you know, it's talk, at least in the broiler world where I live, that we got bad corn and we're going to be short supply. And even the niche producers I work with, so I work with a lot of producers that feed non-GMO grains and organic, those grains are going to be hurting in, in short supply. So as you said, every I just see everywhere is like we talk about labor shortages. So I think everybody's going to be looking at what can I get done with who I have today, right? We've coming off a massive disease issue last winter. We're going into the per season again. We got our butts kicked last year with PERS and, you know, we're still struggling with E. coli here. But, you know, to me, it's like my advice is how are you going to control your risk going into Q4, Q1? There's a lot of unknowns. We may be able to solve our labor issue because other industries are going to lay off. But yeah. that that may not be a good thing because, you know, then we won't have a dem demand for our product because people can't afford it. Yeah, and it may also be a geographical issue. I mean, if people get laid off, for instance, in uh, in Silicon Valley or something, they're yeah. nowhere near the swine farms. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to so, come work with pigs. <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah, even if they're uh, a thousand miles down the road, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... And I hate to be doom and gloom, but I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity that we talked about. So we had a lot of meetings. I think Q3 is a little light for us on meetings in mm -hmm. AG. We take a lot of breaks. In July, I think we had NPIC's meeting up in um, the Wisconsin Dells. We September is our big swine kickoff meetings again. We had the Midwest Swine Nutrition meeting. I would say I didn't attend because of my salary research trial. But since I'm on the committee, I got the report. Our attendance was equal to on par of what it has been. It hasn't really grown or reduced. The Lehman Conference just finished this week as we were talking. Yeah. So everybody, I know a lot of people were heading up to that. We had the Minnesota Nutrition Conference as well. That's another big one. October, so going, you know, Q4, more so probably light. So September's our heavy um, meeting type months mm. here. Europe had a lot this summer as well. Different swine meetings it's that zero zinc summit, for instance, in Denmark. That was a uh, one of my colleagues attended that, and uh, well, it's a topical one. I think we've we talked about more often uh, that that um, as from the first of June here, um, it was uh, no the zinc as a, um, a high dosage in animal nutrition and pig nutrition was no longer allowed. So producers need to find a solution how to deal with post-weaning diarrhea. And, well, since they cannot rely on uh, high levels of antibiotics either. So there was just like a, a lot of companies well, yeah. saying uh, introducing products or introducing solutions that could help 
tackle at least part of the problem and help to reduce the incidence of, of, of post-weaning diarrhea. Yeah. As from 2022, Pick Progress is proud to be teaming up with the Real P3 podcast. Professionals from around the globe already knew how to find Pick Progress as a reliable source of global and exclusive pig information through our website, newsletter, magazine, social media, and webinars. And now, in its 38th year of existence, there is no escaping. Your favorite pig media is prominently present in audio form as well. Find out more to access all podcast episodes and register for a free newsletter through www.pigprogress.net. You know, I thought we've had, on the Real P3, we've had a lot of great guests in Q3. We had a lot of producers Absolutely. and people mm. working in production. A lot of things that stemmed from me. So a lot of great feedback on Mark Jagger's episodes. So the mm. water quality, I think that's become a topic, not just from his standpoint, but everybody appreciated his viewpoints and input. But I think it's coming up in conversations so it was very timely that we had a episode on, you know, water. So I would highly recommend you go back and, and look at that. Let's wait on part two of Mark's great stuff as well. But we had a secession planning discussion. So that was from Stuart Skinner. Mm -hmm. So the Skinner family were pork producers. Mm -hmm. I know his brother Donald as a nutritionist. And neither one of them took over their family farm, from what I understand. And Stuart basically created his own. So unique story on secession planning, but not really the same. And then, you know, recently the Suzanne and Molly story, uh, it's really exciting to hear the younger generations coming in and, you know, talking about, hey, I want to put a cafe. I want to do ag tourism. I want people to come see what we're doing. I want transparency. So there's another kind of example of some secession planning and differences in the generations. I thought that was kind of cool. We had a lot of great topics coming up from animal science meetings we put out there. And I know I'm probably forgetting more. Um, I, sh I should remember. It should be like right there in my, my brain. But I think some of the topics that I think we all, like you and I, can relate to and a lot of people feedback. A was Mark Jagger's on mental health and his discussions around mass depopulations and, and the threat of ASF uh, here in the U.S. And then, you know, Arlene Garcia's research on mental health and the differences between even gender or backgrounds and, and mental health around that, that thought of euthanasia and stuff. And there's tons of stuff all over the you know internet media uh, digital media mm -hmm. about mental health burnout the great recession or not recession but resignation sorry mm -hmm. and you know all that comments work-life balance and stuff and i think that's an important topic mental health work-life balance that needs to be addressed in the swine industry as well. Um, well I yeah uh, you, you're talking to a, to, a, to a good example in that sense because uh well, the, the reason that I was um, lying low in the, during the summer months was also because I uh, suffered from a minor heart attack late in May, and uh, I spent a couple of nights in hospital, and uh, it seems like I got out of it unscathed, hopefully, but yeah, I have felt all right ever since. They've been very early and very good to treat me, but it was a wake-up call because all of a sudden it was just like, okay, what caused this? And obviously, I can't point to genetics indeed, but... Uh, I mean, I never smoked. My my blood pressure was okay. My cholesterol was okay. Everything was okay, yet it did happen. So, and the only thing I can look at is, okay, well, I like my work and I try to work and do it as well as possible, but sometimes I deprive myself of sleep just to make all ends meet, so to make sure that I covered everything there was possibly to cover. And yeah, that's one of the things that I've run into that I need I need to plan better and I need to make sure that I can get my work done in a reasonable amount of hours because otherwise I'll be up in that hospital again and I don't want that. But one thing that I heard in the hospital about a, about a dozen times that every time they asked me, do you smoke, do you smoke, do you smoke, do you smoke? All this question came back all the time. And I've never smoked a single cigarette in my life, but they told me 95% of the people ending up at a cardiology ward, they all smoke. So, dear listeners, in case you do smoke, 
let it be your last one. That's the only advice I can give you. <laughs> well, I think it's really important and I appreciate you sharing this. And I think, you know, we put producers on our topic and to me, I think it should be slashed out and be people now. But our industry, anybody in the swine industry, I suppose they can, uh, they can all uh, uh, hit an invisible wall at some point. I had no idea it was coming my way, but it did. Well, I've hit an invisible wall. I'm, I was, you put it modestly. Everything's, you know, professionally polished, great articles. Um, You reply to emails just like I do any time of the day. Um, when you got sick, you're just like, well, I'm only working these hours. And I was really happy to see you um, as your friend and colleague, you know, say, no, I'm not. And take that time for yourself. And I thought you put good boundaries in. And um, I was really proud of you. I still am proud of you that I've noticed a difference. But I have not noticed the difference in the quality of pig progress, right? So you guys are still putting out great content. And I'm just using that as an example is, you know, work-life balance. Everybody thinks it's like every day is balance. It's like, no, you have ebbs and flows in your life. And, you know, I'm starting my own business, trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And this summer I had, I myself have had to come to some very harsh realities of what does Casey want to do? And where am I best served? So, you know, of course, my passion is serving and uh, working with producers in the, in the, not only swine industry, but in agriculture, you know, and I've had to refocus what I want to do and I let it get too much. uh, Right. So I've had to refocus. So we're here examples for all of you to say, have you checked in on yourself today? And if you're leading teams, have you checked in on your employees? Do you really, my husband complains a lot to me that, um, are you listening? And I find myself distracted a lot from my phone. And I'd say as managers and people, we're going into harvest here in the U.S. So a lot of the managers or owners of operations will be busy in the fields. And all I do is ask that it's a stressful time that we all check in on each other, check in on our employees. If we have employees underneath us, check in on our friends, our family, and be there for them. Like, stop and really check in and not just say, how are you doing? Like, really take the time to check in on people. And I have two questions for that. I'm, I'm intrigued by what you're saying. I mean, I'm in a relatively good situation, but I have a publisher who tells me, Vincent, you make sure that you find a better work-life balance. And obviously, I've got colleagues, so we have, but, but well, luckily, I was, I have my colleagues who can, we can redistribute the workload, so to say, and I have to make different choices. But if you have, a, if you own a farm, for instance, you cannot just say, you know what, I'm going to stop working at six, because then the harvest is not done, and the, the animals don't get fed, and maybe the, 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 the big house hasn't been cleaned out, or Anything like that. I mean, how can a farmer also create more time for himself? Uh, I think it's easier said than done. Oh, wow. I'm not a psychologist, but uh, I'm getting into the coaching business of professional Mm -hmm. development. You're right. Agriculture is at that crossroad of it's ebb and flows, right? So my producer friends, my dad's been in harvest forever. And this is a little things that we do. They do it because they love it, right? It's part of them. That's what ag is struggling with today. We don't have that generation. We don't have that family. As a journalist, I can say that whatever I was doing, I loved as well. That's why it kept me going. Yeah. But it was too much at some point. So even you, you can also... Oh, hit that invisible wall by doing too much of what you like, I suppose. No, you're right. So some of the vices I've been listening to, so as a professional and I have friends, it doesn't matter if you're a farmer, an editor, wherever you work, because you, you go into what you do because of passion and sometimes your passion kills you. Mm. Literally, right? Um, well said, well said, yeah. So sometimes you... I ask people like money, like, can you buy convenience? Can you buy time? 
So if you're spending the extra two hours getting your equipment around, could you not pay somebody who's looking for a side job to mm -hmm. do that for you? Right. Can you find somebody who can run errands for you and from a producer standpoint, can there's a lot of people probably even now looking for side gigs, right? So, you know, I've heard the freelance revolution. I'm, I'm a little bit part of that from what I've been doing, but you know, one of the main things I've done for myself and best piece of money, and I need to call her again is pay for a housekeeper. So instead of getting my nails done, which serves me no purpose working on a hog farm, you know, that money goes for me to have somebody come in and clean my house twice a month. Mm. That stops arguments between my husband <laughs> at, <I. laughs> at times. Uh, it shouldn't things. be too hard on like, you. Well, no, I'm just saying little things. But I was like, trying to say with my dad, for instance, mm -hmm. and I think maybe this is the problem in the swine industry with biosecurity is, you know, I knew my dad had to work from sunup to sundown. Um, mm -hmm. in September, October, November, whatever it took to get harvest done, right? And same in spring planting. Mm -hmm. And he still had to take care of his pigs during the day and, and fit all that in and then go do harvest. And, you know, it was the little things like packing his dinner and going and taking his dinner at night and, you know, riding along on the tractor. And, you know, you're still working, but yet you take that time to add your family, your life, your other passions into it. I see so many times we get wrapped up in biosecurity and I understand the importance of biosecurity, but not getting our children into the barns. That's where we have a labor shortage, I think, a little bit. Coming to, come, come to the labor shortage, you also mentioned something like that. You uh, uh, need to take care well of your, uh, take good care of, of your employees and also have that discussion. How are you and everything? How do U.S. swine farmers deal with that if the majority of the people working in your barn is Mexican? We would do it. Because they, they would prefer to speak Spanish, I think, if you really want to get to the bottom of this. If you really want to talk to them and well, get to understand what, what's, ha what's happening in their lives. Oh, yes. So this I, I think is, there's also you're, you're highlighting, I think, some of the stuff we're going to maybe hopefully showcase in Q4. Have okay. a quick pig progress the plan, but I have a, a special series coming out. I'm making a cliffhanger, am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, but you're right. A good farm crew lives or dies by a good manager and the culture, right? And mm. there's a couple things producers either allow the manager to create its own culture and let them thrive, mm -hmm. or you have a manager that needs your support to help build that culture and thrive. And you know, it's agriculture's family in my mind. And I think we've gotten away from that family and culture. And I think that's our number one problem is the people who own the pigs aren't around the pigs and the people that's taking care of them, right? They just assume it's getting done. And if it's not, the hammer gets dropped and blah, blah, blah. I think we need to go refocus. And as a swine industry, we've all fought this idea of Prop 12, like the U.S. is fighting it tooth and nails. Mm -hmm. And I said, why are we fighting this? Why don't we just accept it, keep less sows, become more efficient, because we can make up the ground if we reduce mortality, we reduce stillborns. You know, we're not getting better on our cell mortality. We're not getting better on our pre-weaning mortality. And, and we're not getting better on our post-weaning mortality. And if we think of the dollars that are going into our compost bin, we don't need as many sows as we used to if we get the other stuff right. And so I think we do. Maybe the perfect storm will allow us to recalibrate. But uh, everybody wanted to be big, big, right? Big, big. Mm -hmm. We have to go big go big or go home the u.s mentality mm. and, oh, capitalism, uh, that, that's, and we've created uh, of all mm. of our problems we've created the animal welfare problems with mortality and we've created the labor force problem because it's about you know who wants my first job new fashion pork they put me on a power washer and processing all day and i'm like is this going to be my you know, i did this for a month and dr dial came out and i said Dr. Dial, this is not what I want to do. And he goes, we did it on purpose, you know, to see if you were going to make it and, you know, understand that it's a necessary job that you have to do. And then 
after that, they created my manager trainee program and, and things. But there are dirty jobs. There are hard jobs. Working back on a hog farm, I realized that I probably have still carpal tunnel issues that I'll have to address. I definitely have knees that, uh, you know, a lot of issues as I get older that I have to still address. And there's so much. And that's why I'm excited to see what BQP is doing in UK. Like they have a female workforce. They developed a trolley to make the job easier for these employees. I have not seen only the only pork producer I've seen to innovate things to make life easier for his employees is Dave Clocky with a pig easy. So he pig easy, that stuff's designed from a pork producer to make life easier and better. Right. So kudos to you, Dave, Katie, but I don't see that kind of innovation. I don't see in then BQP in the UK and Mark Jagger leading the way, right? Saying we need to do better. We need people like that to, to change our industry. It doesn't matter where we are in the world. And the Netherlands are facing the same thing, right? Family farms, if your legislation goes through and all these protests going on, there won't be family farmers left. It, it, it's not all black and white, and it's not all, um, but that there is currently a difficult situation going on that is, uh, that is clear. And there will always be a certain amount of pig farmers that survive the storms, but we've seen the last 20 years already a, a significant drop in the amount of pig farmers and what will happen is that the number of pigs sort of stayed the same so the, the the ones that continue to exist became bigger but yeah the number of pigs is now also starting to come down so yeah uh, i don't think it does look very optimistic for the for the future there will still be pig farms and everything but yeah, the trend is in is is clearly going down, and they have a tremendous amount of shortage of homes, so they really need to start building. So, and yeah, they all cast their hungry eyes on agricultural land. Doesn't matter where it has to come from, but yeah, would, uh, I think if you look ahead in the future, you can sort of see where where it will going will be going. It's not going to happen in the next five years or ten years or fifteen years, but. I don't think there is a bright future for a prospering, growing swine industry in the near future. No, that, that's not what's going to happen here. If there is going to be growth, it's going to be elsewhere. But you know where I see the growth and or the redistribution, at least in a U.S. perspective? I don't know if it's still possible in Europe, mm -hmm. traveling Europe, but um, everybody, <laughs> right or wrong, is why my home pr prices are so ridiculous and I can't get some land, but... Mm -hmm. There's a lot of a regeneration of homesteaders. There's a lot of people that weren't part of agriculture wanting to get back to that, right? Want to raise their families differently with remote work. They're able to, like you said, Silicon Valley, they can move to rural America now by land because that's the kind of lifestyle they want. But I see this resurge in the rural lifestyle people want and growing their own food. and. I would say the pork producers association or cattlemen's or anything, we need to retool. Um, we look at our education systems, our extension programs have died off. So I see a, a redistribution. You won't see it on the markets. You won't see them impacting CMEs, but at least the U S government has acknowledged the slaughter issues because of COVID and, you know, have a lot of grants for new smaller packers to form or to open and stuff or expand because there's not enough um, packing small packer space. Right. My brother told me <laughs> that if I wanted a, a beef killed up home because he raises mm -hmm. beef, that there's only so many slots and you, they give you one day to call and they fill up on that one day. And that's the story from pigs cattle, whatever, you know. So the U.S. government's trying to help with that. But I see a resurgence of backyard, which scares me from the standpoint of biosecurity and ASF management. High path AI on the poultry side's really impacted that, right, as well. In terms of numbers, it's not going to be a huge amount of them. I think we could have Yeah, it's not going to replace growing. what we're losing, right? No, no. no. And 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 personally, I mean, there is this. Well, especially in what I see here, that, that there is a 
a growing amount of people actually being conscious that perhaps it would be ethically better to not eat meat every day. I think there is a trend coming up. Um, I'm saying I'm not saying that I'm in support of that or whatever, but I see more and more also around me people talking about that. So, and I wonder if these people would decide to say, okay, we buy a farmhouse somewhere, and we would have a couple of pigs. If they would, would they have them just to have them as pits, or would they also want to kill them? And I think it's the first. I think people, if they would, people would would like to take care of themselves and grow their own food. It would be veggies rather than and maybe eggs or something. But uh, I, I think it's a mix from everything I've been seeing. Mm. My customers who work on the niche side, so I work with a cooperative here called Grassroots Cooperative. They work with small homesteaders that are hobby farmers that you talk about, and they are bringing the market to them. So they're trying to help these producers be profitable and make a living at this. And so because of market access, processing, feed, they manage all that for them. And they are growing. They are thriving. They have swine. They have poultry. They have cattle, sheep. Um, that is thriving to those types of organizations. So the farmer's markets here, to me, are thriving. And it's a mixture of meat and vegetables. Mm. And it's not going to replace everything. But the consumers that want to eat meat want to know who produces it. I think that's the trend that we need to to focus on and, and hear. They, um, we put fancy videos together and um, I think we do, our pork boards marketing does too much of scrubbing of what it really is like. Um, I think we try to glamorize and uh, make what we oh, do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you, you just need to show the, show the world how things are being done. And if you can't stand that, or if you feel that it needs to be polished up, then perhaps the reality needs to adjust, not not the, the image of it. Yeah, because it's not a clean, happy environment, and it's not a five-star hotel. And I'm going to call them out on the podcast. You can hate me for it or not, but that... Silk pillows and a big barn. <laughs> that, that marketing thing really stabbed me in the heart of everything I'm doing to help promote. We have a labor issue and they talk about, you know, cleanliness, biosecurity. Yeah, we do all that. But walk through those showers. They are not five-star showers that we're asking our employees. You know, we want biosecurity to keep our animals healthy, but you should see the showers that I have to use. You should see the clothes I have to wear. And I was just talking to a American veterinarian that lives in Russia now. She goes, no, it's a lot different there. You, you should see the clothes that they get in the heated showers and the heated floors because of the weather conditions. But she goes, it's a much nicer than ever. You would never walk out with wet hair into a freezing hog barn in Russia. And so, you know, we want compliance in biosecurity. We want our labor. There's so much we have to change for this new generation. I'm sorry. You're not going to attract them to come work in the barns. And we're lying to our consumers to think that it is a five-star hotel. Now, those some of those sows, I'm telling you, they are five-star and they're loving life, right? I walk in these barns and the group housing barns or crates. I, I love group housing. I'm not opposed to, I don't care what the research data says. I've worked with sows. I know sows. I want to put my sows in pens. I want them to have ESF feeding systems. And you want me to get data for you to prove that it's more profitable? I can't, but I'm telling you as a human that's worked with them all my life. I grew up with them, right? I mean, my YouTube channel was sitting out on a south shelter watching the litter. So like the feel, the understanding of the sow, these group house sows, man, they are love and knife. You know, they are well taken care of a lot of times. But it's not rosy that the the consumer wants to see um, is the problem. And I put up a picture of standing with my team on Twitter in front of breed crates. So the sows, the research farm I work on, are in they for thirty days are in crates and then they go to pens. And I get slaughtered on Twitter for mm. attacked. And it's just so sad that just imagery like that can ruin you. But what those people 
attacking me for was I'm actually there doing research to make their lives better. And then just down the row was the pins, right? And so we got to be real. This is the real P3. I think we're running out of time, Vincent. So I know, I know. This <laughs> we're getting real, to real to talk to the industry. And I think my voice needs to be heard because <sighs> a lot of times people like me are kind of not heard. And so I want the industry to know it's not, not everybody thinks everything's a-okay. Uh, but I think the, the the voices who do attack you, I mean, I occasionally it happens to me in Twitter as well, but those who attack you, they they don't want they the don't big care industry to exist yeah. anyway. So even if you would, would give them the silk pillows and even if you would give them all individual crowns and, uh, and, and they would still say, okay, but it is not ethically acceptable to keep animals for your nutrition so yeah whatever you do it will never be good enough so at some point it's okay yeah well yeah you say what you want but uh i'm going to continue with my life <laughs> mm. yeah but hopefully the the pork producers listening the leaders of our industry that listen to our podcast i know you do listen to me let's start making the change i want to see you know be the change you want to see in the world and that is what I'm living to. That is the culture I promote. I hope you promote that also within your organizations. Mm, famous, famous last words. Great summary. Yeah. So mm. great. Happy Q3. Now into the holiday season of life. So yeah, the I say Christmas coming up. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap for this episode Mm. and until our next time. So we will do our traditional ring in 2022. We'll summarize Q4 and that will be coming out early January. So um, yeah, have a great Q4 and holiday season, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye.